Boom! We're back with another Progress Pure Pod. And honestly, guys, I have recorded this intro so many times now because I am so excited and I feel so honored and privileged that I get to bring you this podcast with a woman who I find so inspirational, Talia Collis. If you don't know Tal, she's a British director currently based in New York, but also in London. She goes between the two. Uh, She's the director, creator, birth mother, uh, visionary of American Vogue series, Diary of a Model. Uh, She's worked with Calvin Klein, American Vogue, Nike, DKNY, and she's worked with some of the biggest names in the industry out there. So for example, uh, she shot Kendall Jenner, Nicole Richie, Winnie Harlow, Candy Swanenopal, I can never say her name. Um, She's worked with Stephen Klein, and more than that, more than her credentials, even though she has done an unbelievable job, she got into Parsons, New York, uh, and then landing her job Uh, with Vogue all through hard work and dedication. She, from knowing her personally, she is one of the most humble, kind uh, people that I've met. And she, I think, truly sees people for who they are. Um, And I just think she's a really incredible person and force of life. So I really hope you enjoy this pod and send it to somebody who needs some motivation, inspiration, because that is what this will do. Enjoy, guys. recording this is recording tell hi hey um you know it's so funny because i know that you told me so this is talia talia no no i know i know i can no 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 i was going i was going into that with a okay. with a thing so this is talia sorry this is talia i know talia tal but when we first met which is also a funny story, which I want to go into. But when we first met, I obviously thought it was Talia. And so when we had a phone call before I met and I was just calling you Talia the whole time. And I have a pet peeve, which is when people know people's names and they pronounce them wrong. Mm -hmm. And so then you told me it was Talia. And so now, even though I know it's Talia, every time I say your name, I get a little bit like, fuck, is it? But I know it's Talia. So this is Talia Collis, everybody. <laughs> Dude, I am so excited to have you on. And I can't believe that we are here and this is happening because I remember the first time that, like the way that we know each other is quite random. So the first time that I kind of came across you, I remember where I was, is that weird? Like, I have really bad memory. No, that's not weird, I'm flattered. I remember where you, like where I was when you messaged me. So I was in my dad's office and I got this, I think it was Instagram DM from you because you followed me on Progress. Mm-hmm. And uh, I followed you hard. But I, I thought it was so cool because I kind of knew of you because we had like mutual friends, mm-hmm. but not like properly. Um, and then you messaged me something like being so sweet. And I remember from that moment being like, oh my God, this girl is so lovely. And then since then, it's been like, I don't know, four or five years that I've kind of like followed you and like kept up with what you were doing to a certain extent and I guess kind of vice versa? Yeah, I mean, I was drawn to you because I always thought you were this dynamic person that kind of danced the beat of their own drum. Yeah. Um, and, you know, coming from, you know, where we come from with, you know, all the people that we know, it was kind of um, rare to see somebody do their own thing without any care in the world or any idea that, you know, there'd be any backlash or, you know, yeah. what the fuck does she, does she think she's doing? She's trying to be famous, she's trying to be an influencer. It's like, well, hold on, she's actually trying to do something with herself. And yeah. I really responded to that. I yeah. just thought, this girl is great and I'm 
in, I just I was just into you as a person overall, and I said that to you when yeah, we met. Yeah. Um, and I think what you've done with Progress Pure is also fantastic. Like you've you started off obviously with it being a fitness thing. Yeah. But then you realised, okay, I'm there's more to me than just this side of my life. I now want to introduce all these other qualities of Molly, which is you know talking to people and and you know being really engaging. So I love that you've now done this, and you really have gone on this pure. <laughs> progression yeah yeah. so it it, it makes sense yeah it's amazing like it really that hearing that means so much to me are you hot now (laughs) you're so hot i I was telling to tell before like by the way my room gets so warm and i always like wearing jackets (laughs) so i just sit here and sweat you're about to see us like melt (laughs) don't worry you cool down after a few minutes um but that really means like honestly the world to me because like firstly and I know this isn't an interview about myself but like firstly you're so right the community that we're brought up in and the people that we know and the schools that we went to like there it's it's constantly judgment and everyone kind of knows each other and like I definitely went through that of people saying like what are you doing or like this kind of thing is okay but like, like this what you're doing is weird like people actively judging me even telling me about it to my face Um, and then now to be like, okay, there's more to me and I want to do something else. Like I realized that like I had to pursue the thing that I wanted to love doing, which I think you and me are, we have similar energies in that way. Like I was reading a lot more about you and how you got started and, and, uh, and yeah. And so I think we have a similar work ethic, life ethic in that way. And before I go into this anymore, I want to properly introduce you so people know who we're talking to. So Talia is like my girl crush. Like, I think you are one of the coolest people I've ever met. Like, I thought you were so cool when I actually first met you like two or three weeks ago uh, with Grace, obviously. Um, But and I thought you just had such a lovely energy and you were so communicative and you carried yourself so well and so kind and, and just great to talk to. But then on top of that, I knew you did something creative. I knew you worked for Vogue. I knew that you went to pass well I kind of knew you were in New York or you know doing the creative thing and I didn't know that you are the the mother of diary of a model like legitimately you make the most incredible videos um like fashion and music and I just have so much respect for you I beautiful intro that's very nice of you. <laughs> round of applause for Tao <laughs> no that's really sweet I moved I moved um yeah, Diary of a Model is yeah. uh, my labour of love. I literally feel like I gave birth to that. Yeah. Like, with all the labour pains, everything like that has been a challenge, but it's also been a blessing and it's kind of opened so many doors, you know, for, you know, for other opportunities with other brands and, you know, other people. But it's it's definitely something that I've also grown with. Yeah. Um, so I really like and I'm really happy to hear that you, yeah. that, you know, you'd also like it. I remember yeah. you were telling me that you enjoyed watching yeah them. like literally I spent the beginning of corona I like binge watched all of those videos like wow. I remember sitting late up at night watching that, all of them seriously that makes, melts my heart seriously and then I remember like being like Molly okay stop like this is the last one this is the last one this is the last one and then getting to like 3am and I was like oh my god like I find them so addictive that do you see Yes, like <laughs> yes. If, you, if you can't see me like I'm very I'm a very um I use my hands a lot and yeah. yes to yeah. that like yeah. you know that's what I want with Diver Model. I, I, the idea was to kind of create this fan base where you know you knew what you were coming to and you knew that you were going to get this solid, cool, authentic content of these women. Yeah. Um. So that you know, it's music to my ears to hear that you just binge watched it and you enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. But also when we met, I, th- I, I felt the same way about you. You know, 
it's 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 nice that you know as a director as well like I, I kind of feed off um my relationships with people and like you know the the experiences that I have with them and that I share with them and I think that when I met you it was one of those things where it's like yes I've met someone who I get and yes. I like and everything you've said about me yeah. I feel the same way about you that's so sweet yeah. that's really sweet we're, we're, we're fangirling yeah. and girl crushing over each other yeah so. this is a moment guys yeah. this is a real moment um but yeah like so if people don't know Diary of a Model you've obviously you've worked with like some of the top models out there you've worked with like Kendall Jenner Nicole Richie Candy Swanepoel thank you Suki Waterhouse Megan Roche Megan Roche yeah Megan Roche Winnie Harlow um and you've also like how did so I actually know because I have done more research on you now but um can you you're just such a force of life how did you go from school like in London to then be how did you know you wanted to do fashion because I always well would you even define yourself as doing fashion what do you kind of define yourself as doing so you know primarily I am a director yeah um I started off as a photography student and having you know let's if you go if you go back right to the beginning I started off as a you know a kid that loved photography. And I I remember when I was 14, my dad bought me my first camera and, um, you know, I was shooting people, you know, at school that I, you know, found to be attractive or pretty and I was creating all these stories. And I, I was, you know, when I, when I look back on it now, it was almost, it was almost like creative direction. And I, I would like, I would go location scout all over North London because obviously I couldn't go anywhere else. Yeah. And, um, I'd like find these churches or these parks and I would take girls or guys that, you know, like I said, yeah. I thought were cute or yeah. were pretty, whatever, um, and I'd shoot them there. Or yeah. I'd shoot like a boyfriend at the time or like a best friend. And I'd I, that was my way of exploring my, you know, my, my photo journey or my love for photo. So I always knew that that's what I wanted to do. I okay. always knew that, you know, the creative field and, you know, creating images, creating was my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I, but then I also had this infatuation with New York, and I remember always telling my, my grandma, who I actually call Mimi, um, who will probably be watching this so, and, or listening. <laughs> Shout out, Mimi. <laughs> um, I remember saying to her, you know, I, I really want to live in New York. Like, I just feel that there's there's something about New York that I like. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, I kind of put it at the back of my head, didn't, didn't explore it, obviously, at, at you know, 15. Mm. Um, and then, you know, you know, you start looking into universities and whatnot, and I moved from Jerfest to Brampton, mm-hmm. and um, and I remember, you know, the opportunity presented itself where you know Parsons or the School of Visual Arts SVA was mm-hmm. was available mm-hmm. to us, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of just thought, okay, this is it. This yeah. is the opportunity to kind of migrate from London to the city of my dreams, which yeah. was New York, and that was scary because at the time I was 17 and you know going to my dad and saying you know I want to go to New York I thought it was going to be like a flat you know absolutely not yeah like you're you're living in la la land like how can we it's expensive yeah um so where was I going with this where was I going with this? Wanting to live in New York, yeah. it being expensive, pursuing your yeah. And so my and then I remember my dad saying, "No, let's do it. Like, let's make a let's figure out a way of making this happen." So I applied for Parsons. I did the Parsons challenge, and at the time, it was um, you know explore something that is overlooked within your daily environment. And for me, I felt felt that it was um, Orthodox or Hasidic Jews um, in the secular world. Fascinating. So. And that's another part of me as well. Like I'm very fascinated. I, I'm very. I love Judaism, and yeah. I love 
um, you know, stories about Judaism and, you know, like Fiddler on the Roof, one yeah. of my favorite films, um, going off topic. But so I, I remember focusing on, you know, over, overlooking the Hasidic community, and, you know, what it means to actually be religious and, you know, why does the secular world like kind of have this primitive view or narrow-minded view of, of what it means to be religious? You know, there's a lot that comes with it. Anyways, um, so I did that, did the Parsons Challenge, got in. Um, and I remember, I remember getting this letter thinking, oh my God, like I've yeah. got into Parsons, like yeah. this is it, like this is huge, like, I'm, like, I'm going to leave London, yeah. I'm going to like start a new life. Um, I, go to, I go to New York and then I remember, and I, you know, for anyone who's listening who is, you know, a university student, I remember fucking around <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, first year, kind of just exploring New York, having fun with, you know, all the new people that I'd met. Yeah. And then I kind of realised, you know, sophomore year, so second year. Yeah. I've actually got to make the most out of this. Yeah. Like, I'm not here to just, you know, party and, you know, meet fun people. Like, I'm here to make a career. And When you first got there, was Parsons, because obviously you had this, like, big idea of what it was going to be in your life in New York and everything. In that first year, was it what you thought it was going to be? Like, did it live up to your... Like, did you have as much fun? Did you feel at home as in New York, like, that you as you thought you were going to? I think... When you watch films, you have this idea of New York being this very glamorous city and, you know, that it's the city that never sleeps, which is true to a certain extent. But it's not as, it's not as, it's not really like that. Okay. It's a hard city. And I always say to my friends, when the highs are high, yeah. fuck, yeah. New York is, is is everything okay. okay? You feel good. You you you're 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 walking on sunshine. Yeah, right? like it is just it's amazing. But then when the lows are low, yeah, you want to get out of yeah. there. You're depressed. It, it's not fun. Okay. Whereas in London, what I've noticed is that you can it's it's easier. <laughs> yeah, you, you can kind of float through and you can be happy. I think there's a better quality of life here because yeah. there isn't that you know that push. That yeah, like, you know to constantly work and to just drive yourself crazy. And yeah. I think in New York, it's very easy to do that. There's no such thing as no, yeah. right? You say no to a client. It's like, what do you mean? Yeah. You've got to, you, let's let's make this work. In yeah. London, you can say yeah. no and people will respect that. Do, yeah, do you think that's because more, um, I feel like London, especially when New Yorkers come here, they always think that, and it's funny because I don't normally think this, but like that London, we have more of that kind of like European lifestyle of like, you work hard, but it's not like your life, you know? Whereas in New York, like your work that is their whole life whereas like we I think people can consider more and take into account more okay you're going to work from this time to this time and like you have more like basic needs as a human being that we'll respect do you think there's more kind of um like leverage for that than in New York um I think that you you live to work yeah in New York okay and I think it's I mean, of course, people say you know they have a social life there, and mm. you know you go you know you go to, to to it's like a playground for adults. But I don't think it's as easy to just be as free as you think you can be in New York within the work environment. Mm. It, it's a very I, I I love New York, but there there are so many things about it that I think um, it, 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 it they kind of prevent you from kind of exploring yourself as a human being outside of what you do. Okay. And but don't get me wrong, you go there and you and you you 
it trains you and it disciplines you to become a certain sort of professional. Okay. And then when you go anywhere else, it's like the song, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Yeah. When you go everywhere else, you have this winning mentality and it kind of, it, it really enforces that in you and it drills, drills that, you know, philosophy and that way of life into you. And in that respect, New York is fantastic. But in terms of, you know, allowing you to make mistakes and, and you know, allowing you to have a life outside of work, I don't, I don't know. Okay. I, I had, I'd never had that experience because I was always working. Okay. Um, you know, ever since, I mean, we'll talk about this, but ever since sophomore year, yeah, which is like, what, like five, six years ago yeah. now? I was always working. Right, Whilst right. all my friends were travelling to, you know, South America or Southeast Asia or, you know, having the time of their lives, yeah. you know, volunteering, I was, you know, running around New York sweating, yeah. you know, like, just doing the most like ridiculous tasks with yeah. people that I adored and admired, and I was I was hustling, and yeah. I don't and nobody really heard from me because I was always always working. Right, and that seemed normal to me there. And you know, when I look back, it's like, well, there's more to life than just you know the grind. Yeah, yeah. And, but look, I'm so happy with my journey. Yeah, and you know where it's taken me, and it's made me the person that I am today. But there is more to life than just killing yourself at work. And I don't think New York lets you believe that. Okay. That is what I would say. That's really interesting. Okay, so you're in sophomore year. Mm -hmm. You're... You, you were partying. You were having a great time. Wait, so you had that realisation in sophomore year that this is not what... This is not what you came here to do? Yeah, I just... I realised that, you know, my dad has, you know, managed to send me out here. I've got to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. And I at the time, I was... Um, I was dating, I was dating a uh, Yanis, <laughs> um, who, shout out Yanis, love you to bits, um, and his mum happened to um, own a studio in Paris called Pin Up Studios, and I went, and I went to go visit him in, um, in December, and for like three, three, a month, a month, and um, for the three weeks that I was there as well, I decided to go intern for her at Pin Up Studios, Amazing. and you know, I say this to everybody that asks. I realized that shit was happening every single day yeah. and this is Paris yeah. okay so you know if if it's this busy yeah. and it's this exciting here could you imagine how busy and exciting it is in New York yeah and I'm thinking what am I doing yeah. like what you know Tanya like wake up yeah so I remember going back to New York and I had this 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 game plan I was just gonna you know find all these internships and I was gonna hustle and I was gonna climb to the top yeah. and I had this you know this funny way of looking at things it was just gonna be so easy to get up there and that naivety yeah. was also a driving force and it kind of like allowed me to do all these ridiculous things that now when I look back yeah is that mine or you is that uh, I think it's you but it's cool you can um sorry no no don't worry I am um, I remember what was I saying no I remember yeah, the, the naivety mm. of my situation, like, mm -hmm. you know, thinking that I could do whatever I wanted. And, well, anyway, so I'm, I go on, on some tangents, sorry. But no, honestly, I, I'm the worst at that. So I go back to New York and I'm looking for all these internships and I find that, you know, Parsons, they're not that helpful in helping me, you know, find something that was good for me. Right. And finally, there was this teacher that, you know, sent out um, an email, you know, Red Hook Labs are looking for interns. Um, you could be a production intern, you could be a gallery intern, or you could be a studio intern. And okay. I had just done a studio internship at Pin Up Studios in Paris. Okay. So I thought, okay, done this, experienced it, all right, yeah. what about production? Um, spoke to my, my, my teacher, he connected me, and I remember walking in, and I was, I just, 
I had no idea, right? I had no idea what I was walking, you know, walking into. Yeah. And I remember meeting my the my boss at the time, who is now a very good friend of mine, mm-hmm. um, Helena Martel Seward, who is, you know, a huge producer in New York and just a wonderful human being. I I, I call her my Argentinian Tinkerbell because like whenever she it was it was like she had this wand and whenever she'd flick it, she'd just grant me these opportunities, albeit with hard work. Yeah. It wasn't as if like you know, she was giving me anything, but it was she was just this amazing mentor and I, I started working for her and everything from then you know that day changed and I just remember being put in all these different you know real life situations with all these real creatives that I had admired for so long right um, and seeing that you know this is hard work yeah and you can't expect that anybody's going to give you anything yeah and if you want something you've got to go and get it and you've got to show people that you are valuable and good enough mm-hmm. to you know deserve to be in that position did you when you were a kid because that is such a great ethic and like work ethic and life ethic and something to have if you understand that on a deep level i think you can go so far in life and to know that nothing's going to come to you for free and if you want to be respected especially in difficult industries to get into like fashion or music or whatever you have to work and from the bottom you know but did you how did you know, like, was that something you were just kind of, like, born with? Did your parents teach that to you? Did you learn that when you were growing up? Like, yeah, my, my both my parents are workaholics. So I was always around, like, my mum my is Yemenite, so she was a real hustler in London and kind of, you know, did, you know, was, was the one that was organising all the Israeli events for, you know, the Israeli community in London and... And no, yeah, I definitely get that from my parents. My dad with his business was always working and and it was always that thing where, you know, nothing in life is just gonna be given to you for free. And if you wanna do something, you know, do it. Yes, I had wonderful parents that kind of helped me in terms of supporting me and, you know, being there for me and advocating for me. But at the end of the day, you are, I was always taught that you are your own, you are your best advocate, right? And you are your only advocate in life. Yes. So that was my whole thing. Yeah. You know, I always knew that if I wanted something, I would would have to be the one to actually go out and get it. Sure. And I think that a lot of people don't actually understand that. Yeah. They think that, also maybe it's our generation, but we think that, you know, we, we're owed everything. I know, and yeah. we're not. Yeah, we're just not. We yeah. have, if you want something, go out, get up, go get it. Yeah, I don't know whether if that's because like when we I was at school. I don't know, kids. I feel like now kids nowadays they're just <laughs> they're so like um, taught to be like so special in a way that's kind of and and self diagnosing all the time. Or like if you got something wrong with you, you've got to like, look into yourself. And I don't like. I feel like kids can benefit so much from just being told like, you know, just go out and get it. And like, not to be hard on yourself, but to just to really understand that life isn't this kind of like soft bubble, which may be in school or primary school or whatever that we're kind of like taught to believe that, like you said, that you have to go out and get it. And kids, I don't think are like hardy enough to do that. And maybe in some cultures there are, and it might be something to, and obviously I'm not saying there are no English people like this whatsoever, but maybe also something to do with like your mum being Yemenite or like, you know, my mum is Irish and like my dad is Israeli. And and I mean, they're in Israel and in Ireland, like culturally from what I understand, they're not so, you know, where I feel like America and the UK are more like soft on the children and, and kinder to the kids. and. And like they are obviously very kind to these kids in these countries, but there is more of a more responsibility on children to kind of do what they want to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Whereas like in 
in the UK and in America, I feel like there's more kind of pandering to kids and they're told that they're more special. Whereas in Ireland and Israel, and you know, I think there is a hardiness to them that isn't so prevalent here. 100%. And maybe they'll catch up to that and be where we are kind of at now. I hope it doesn't really happen. Um, but yeah, maybe it's a kind of cultural thing as well. 100%. I think that I, in so many ways, I am very Israeli mm -hmm. and um, I have that, you know, Israeli chutzpah, yeah. as they say, which is a good thing. 100%. Okay. Yeah. Chutzpah never hurt anybody. Yeah, 100%. Okay? Um, and yeah, I mean, I definitely think that I've got that, that go, like, I've got that go-getter energy in me and like that that is from my Israeli side and my and but I've also had an English dad who's mm -hmm. always very very much been supportive of my my personality and like you know the way I kind of look at life and how I go about things whereas there are I, I could imagine there are some parents that probably want their kids to tone down and kind of you know fit in yeah and not you know how do I say this? Like you don't, you don't want your kid to be too out there. I think yeah. as a kid, I maybe was. Yeah. Because I, I always just did what I wanted, and I, I didn't really care about what other people thought. But yeah. my parents kind of let me. Yeah. Do my thing. So you had that kind of naivete, chutzpah when you got to New York, and so you, you said that you did the initial internship with the one in Paris, and then you did. So you applied for the production one in New York. Yeah. So okay. I applied for the production internship with Red Hook Labs met Helena, um, Helena, mm -hmm. and I say Helena because obviously the English way, but it's actually Helena. Okay. And um, met, met, met her and, you know, she just started giving, you know, telling me, come on set, you know, call time's 5am and I'd be, and I'd have to go all the way to Red Hook. Now, might I just add, yeah. Red Hook is in the middle of nowhere okay. in Brooklyn, okay. okay? You have to take maybe three trains from where I'm at and then like, a 20 minute bus ride so okay. it was tough yeah okay? yeah it was tough for somebody that just you know had just moved to new york yeah. and was didn't even know brooklyn i was living in the west village yeah which is you know fucking arty farty yeah. so <laughs> what the fuck yeah right? so, the fuck? so i'm thinking you know where the hell, you know i'm lost yeah. right um and so i was you know she was you know sending me all these call sheets and i was this production assistant and you know to be quite Blunt, mm. I was her bitch. Okay, yeah. Like, I was everybody's bitch. Yeah. And that is okay, yeah. okay? Because yeah. that is, you know, being an intern, if you, and you, when you're not getting paid, you're, and this is something that I actually wanted to explain, you know, further on, it's, it was such a blessing because when you're an intern with good people, you're entitled to make mistakes in a way where you're not really allowed to do so when you actually land the job. Because, mm -hmm. you you know, it's, you're working for free, but you're also, you're gaining this experience from these people that, you know, hopefully you admire. Mm -hmm. And you, but they also, they're, they're coming from a, from a, from a place where they know that, you know, you don't know much mm -hmm. and that, that is okay. That perspective that, you know, I don't know how to say what I'm saying, but it was one of those things where I felt very comfortable exploring my new journey as a photographer or a production assistant and as not at the time not a director but mm. I was able to make mistakes actually learn and really give my all because mm -hmm. I knew that with all this hard work that I was doing mm -hmm. it was okay if I fucked up in certain areas because I wasn't getting paid yeah and you know Helena and Red Hook Labs knew that I was an asset to them because I was working hard and I was doing everything that they wanted yeah and I think that's I could just go straight into it now. I think that's something that people forget when it comes to internships. They expect that your their employer 
should just be, you know, giving them all this, you know, insight into the industry and it's on the employer yeah. to kind of, you know, teach you and guide you and show you the way. And yeah. it's like, well, hold on. You know, you've, you've also got to make a contribution to them. Sure. What is, what, is your, what is your role in this? It takes two to tango. Yeah. And now when I look back, I realise that that was my experience, that I was doing all these shitty jobs yeah. that, you know... When I look back, fuck me, yeah. okay? Like, they were not fun. Yeah. I'm swearing a bit too much. No, 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 but, go for um, it. Go for it. You know, they, they, were, they were things that I just, I, I obviously didn't want to do. Yeah. And now when I look back, it was like, well, hold on, if I didn't do, if I wasn't going to do them, who was? Yeah. And, you know, I'd expect an intern that worked for me to do the same in some respect. Like, you want to see people that hustle and actually, like, want to be, right. want to be there. So, yeah, so I, you know, worked for Helena for, I think it was like a year and a half. Obviously, we stayed in touch. We stayed really, we, we were really good friends. And, you know, she introduced me to loads of people and she kind of connected me with Vogue at the time. And there were, there were occasions where I would, you know, be a production assistant for Vogue and they'd call me up and say, oh, are, you, are you available? And I'd like miss a class yeah, and I'd yeah, go. Yeah. Um, and then from there, um, I, which was amazing, I, Helena got this email saying, oh, you know, Stephen Klein is looking for interns. Now, for those, for those of you who don't know, Stephen Klein is like one of the masters of photography. Yeah. And, you know, his 2005 issue of Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt for W Mag was everything to Wow, me. wow. Um, and so I, you knew who he was? Yeah. Like, okay. Like, Stephen Klein was, was my idol. Like, right. I loved him. I still do. Yeah. And I remember she... She said, oh, yes, yeah, Stephen's looking for interns. Would you be interested? And I applied, and I, and it took quite a while. And I, and I finally, you know, got through the door. Yeah. And that was hard. What did you, what was the application process like? Was it, is it more like a word of mouth thing? Did you have to, you know, did you submit your kind of portfolio on projects that you'd worked on? So I didn't submit any pictures or, you know, like a portfolio per se, but obviously I sent in a CV and mm-hmm. like who I'd worked for and, uh, it's so funny now that I don't really do this anymore, so I've almost like forgotten. I think yeah. like a cover letter. Okay. Is that what you? Is, that's yeah, what yeah, it cover is. letter. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember the last time I did that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, seriously. Yeah. Which is actually amazing. That's so good because yeah. it shows that you've now how far you've come and that your name is now like you know recognized within those kinds of things and people want you on their projects. Well, thanks. Yeah. No, it's true. Like that's a that's a real milestone. Yeah. I mean, I I literally when people say oh like can you, like can you look at my CV or my cover letter I'm like what yeah like, right I'm like I know we get that at Walk Up like the my brother's company when people like write in to say hey can I like work for you guys and stuff and they send the CV and I'm like oh. This is my job now. Like, yeah. I get to go through it and like approve or disapprove. And I'm just aren't like, you just How like weird. so like okay, cool, 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 whatever. You don't yeah, even I'm, look. I don't care. Yeah, I'm just like, are it's you a nice personality. person? Yeah. yeah. All it's... I care about are they a good person? Are they honest? Do they answer questions in like a human being way? And do they just like have respect and and mostly listen? Yeah, is what I really look for. But yeah, it's crazy. I and it, yeah, it's so weird to think. And you know, so with Stephen with. I remember, you know, sending in this cover letter to his um, his studio manager at the time, Mark Lucasavage. Yeah. Hey, Mark, if you're <laughs> watching. Um, and I was so keen. I was like, please, <laughs> like, I want to work for Steven. Yeah. Um, and he was like, okay, you can come in. And I, I, I you know, I got the internship. And, he, and it was so funny because he was obviously so stressed when he interviewed me. And he was like, okay, like, come 
you can start straight away like you know let, let, let's get started and Stephen was tough oh really like Stephen you know it wasn't glamorous but you know when you were in the studio but when you were on set with the with I remember being on set with like the likes of Katy Perry for her W mag cover or uh, Northwest and wow. Kim Kardashian for the um, interview cover where she's um Kim is acting as Jackie Kennedy and like you know those experiences like seeing these huge celebrities who to be honest like I didn't really care about. Yeah. I cared about. It was more that I. It was interesting to see somebody like Stephen, how he adapted in that situation, and how he was able to be a creative with this pressure of yeah. not only is it like Kim Kardashian, but it's also all her people, and like it's also Interview Mag, and like the whole world was going to see it, and there was going to be backlash. Yeah. And so it was always that was what you know what what I got off on. You right. Know, right. I was watching something that was something that was being made that was obviously controversial because everything that Stephen did was controversial and it was out there yeah and I was I was seeing the you know the behind the scenes of it and that was a fantastic experience and did you ever because like it's so key you know if you're going to be around people like that you can never have one of those moments where you're like oh my god you like obviously you can't be like fangirl you have to be super professional and stuff did you you did you ever have a moment where you worked with somebody really famous where you felt like oh my god like a bit intimidated by like their no yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so here's the funny thing. Yeah. The only time I've ever been a little bit, what, what's the word, like starstruck? Yeah. yeah. Um, was at the Met Gala when I saw Marc Jacobs. Wow. Which is so lame. Okay. <laughs> like, I love that. It's like, you know, you, you're seeing like Bradley Cooper, who's, you know, a god walking past you. No, not not batting an eye, like didn't yeah. care. Yeah. Um, and then I see Marc Jacobs and I'm like, is that because you just have so much respect? Yeah. yeah. Mark Jacobs is is everything. Like, he he's half the, you know, he ch- changed the course of Louis Vuitton and, like... No, Mark Jacobs is a, is, a, is amazing. Okay. Like, he, he is a real visionary and a real artist, and I, I love everything that he's ever done. Okay. And I just remember thinking, this is somebody that has changed the course of fashion history. Yeah. And I, admi- I just admired that. Yeah. And I didn't really care about... I, I, I don't, I don't fangirl over people because, you know, this is going to sound a bit crude, but my dad has this saying, uh-huh. and I hope you all enjoy this, it's, um, you know, people get up in the morning and they take a shit just like you. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's so true. It's so true. I love that. It's so true. And you know what you could say, okay, people get up in the morning and go to the toilet just like you. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. realistically, they actually, you know, yeah. you know, their shit stinks. Yeah, 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 100%. So it's, you know... I, why I don't care. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, I I kind of see these people as people, and yeah. human beings, and you know, yeah, they're talented and they're cool, but mm-hmm. so am I. So mm-hmm. are you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So are like half my friends. Yeah. So or all my friends. Yeah. So that's yeah no never fangirled over anyone. Yeah. Apart from him. Paul yeah. Jacobs. So cool though. Like I feel like that's uh you know what a true artist. <laughs> the the fact that like you 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 care so much about what you do and the vision of it and the project and so to hear that you would get a high out of like how a fellow creative like what was his name Stephen Stephen Klein Stephen Klein how he would manage that and kind of like it sounds like almost like control the room and like execute his vision even though there are all these other variables which might be distracting typically like Kim K's posse like you know whatever else is going on on the set I think is a real insight into into you you know as a as a director to be like aware of those things is very cool yeah um 
And so then how did you go from, okay, so you're doing that, you're interning. How, where do you go from there? So, okay, so I was interning for Stephen. Um, and obviously that was through Helena, you know, connect, you know getting this opportunity for, for via email. Um, and then um, and then she, she connected me to Charlotte Wales, who was another photographer that I absolutely adore. She's also a director. She's amazing. If you don't know who she is, you should look her up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also somebody that I like. I really liked, and like that was like the sort of career that I wanted. Um, and then from there, I, 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 I was. I also in, I interned for Natalie Hazoo, who was the casting director for Celine. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that was another way of me understanding how production worked because obviously now I was dealing with models and people, mm-hmm. and you know, you know what makes a face work for a brand, mm-hmm. and you know how do you find these faces? Where do you get these ideas? And it was also a way in for me to kind of be in touch with agencies for my own shoots, modeling mm-hmm. agencies. So I I was always given these opportunities by Helena, who was my mentor, to kind of grow. And, you know, I could have been somebody that we would have said, no, I don't want to do that. It's not for me. And, you know, had a bit of, you know, my nose up. But yeah. no, like I, I wanted to see every every single, you know, part of the industry. And that did mean casting, that did mean production, that did mean studio, that meant gallery, that means everything. Yeah. You've got to, you know, you've got to get a, a yeah. taste of it all. Um, so, you know, from casting with Natalie Hazout for, you know, Celine, and, you know, she, I think she, like, she did something for Vogus Hallier that I helped her with, um, working for Charlotte Wales and, you know, being in her studio and kind of seeing how she worked was, yeah. Stephen Klein as well. Um, and then, and then, but I was still with Vogue. I was still okay. always in the, in the back of my head. I was, or you know, in the in the background, they were always reaching out to me and asking if I was free. That's so cool. Like, how did they? So they kind of got to know you because you were just were around and you worked hard and you showed your face at these places. And so, what? When was the, the first time they reached out, or was it like you reached out to them? No, no, no. So, okay, so they reached out to me because they they were doing um some fashion they, it was it was new york fashion week i think this was a junior year um so third year and they reached out to me saying they they'd got my information from helena mm-hmm. martel seward mm-hmm. um you know would you be interested in production assisting for us on these big shoots at spring studios was that a big deal oh my god like I to get that yeah <laughs> Oh my god! I'm like sending it to my, sending it to my dad at time. Like Vogue is calling. <laughs> like you just dropped in. How you were like in and out working with Vogue, and I'm like, wait, that's a huge fucking deal. Like yeah, no, it was. Yeah, yeah it, it was. It was. Yeah, it's Vogue. Yeah. Like it was. It was so exciting when you see the masthead and the signature. Or like oh my god, it was. It was amazing, and I, I remember getting that and being so excited. And then, and I, that, I knew that was my opportunity. Like you really got to impress them. You really got to hustle, and like yeah. you've got to just go for it and yeah. anything they want do it and that's what I did and yeah. I, I really was their bitch that day yeah. and like, they obviously and they liked that they responded to you know me working hard and running around like a complete lunatic yeah. and they kept calling me back mm-hmm. um, and then so from you know from working like a dog for you know sophomore year and junior year non-stop and mm-hmm. you know, my, my schoolwork did suffer mm-hmm. Um, and my teachers did not like it. Really? No, not at all. Really? I would have thought they would have been like so supportive of no. you like actually going out there and doing that. No, but that's like a whole other thing. Okay. That's, you know, like, no. They, I think they, they kind of thought, you know, I actually don't care. I think yeah. they just kind of thought that who is this, you know, young girl who's yeah. like doing all these things and that, you know, why are we not doing Yeah, that? I was going to say, do you think that comes from jealousy? I don't know if it was jealousy, but I, I definitely think there was some, they were bitter. Yeah. 
and you know screw them yeah fuck it I you know I I, I needed to make the most out of my time there and, yeah. I, and I always knew in the back of my head it wasn't this was this was their own issue it yeah. wasn't to do with me yeah um, but then but look my, my, my school life suffered my social life suffered yeah. um, and um, I never I never went home to London never visited I was always working and then I, I kind of decided you know senior year okay I've got to come out of school with something like mm. I've got to come out with a portfolio and I kind of dedicated my whole um, my whole thesis year to you know to shooting and you know creating my own work and this is where um yeah, this is where kind of my life changed because I had I had a a film class. Um, I, I I had this wonderful film teacher at the time, this Israeli man, and and he recommended that I watch The Graduate, and that film changed Amazing. my life. Yeah, because it because I I was seeing the this you know the the relationship between you know a, a kid Ben who was coming of age with this older woman Mrs Robinson and and like sex and desire and you know lust but also like confusion and and you know that's kind of how I felt yeah. you know, growing up which yeah. sounds quite funny but I I, I re- there was something about you know as a woman responding to you know sexual imagery and mm-hmm. and that I that I kind of liked mm-hmm. and and so my whole thesis was a project on you know the book was called her Mm -hmm. and it was about you know these these women who were the who were the the predominant characters in my images that were kind Mm of were being desired by by these these men who Mm -hmm. were these characters that were kind of you know attending to their needs and what they wanted okay i mean it sounds when i say it it sounds a bit it sounds a bit weird, but if you looked at the book, yeah, you it was it was very tasteful. Do you mean like attending to their needs? Do you mean like their sexual needs? Not sexual needs, just more like, you know, she was the priority in that it was mm-hmm. this like this sort of antiquated idea of man kind of lusting over a woman mm-hmm. and like going for her. Mm-hmm. Again, I haven't even thought about this in so long mm-hmm. because it's been years now, but. I did this. I did my whole thesis based on like the relationships between men and women, but like mm-hmm. the because I always felt that women were, you know, I didn't feel like they had like enough of a spotlight mm-hmm. in imagery and in mm-hmm. you know and, and in films. I always felt like it was dictated by like a male gaze. Yeah, like, I wanted that's what it was. I wanted to give like my uh, the female gaze of you know feeling powerful, but also like owning your your feet your womanhood yeah with men whatever it's really interesting because i think that you're right like in a lot of in a lot of like hollywood movies especially i'm trying when was casablanca shot maybe in like the i want to say i don't know neither do i but like 50s maybe yeah the 50s potentially maybe no sorry i have no clue i will go with the 50s but like when i'll look it up up. yeah (laughs) let's look it up but in all of like not all of them, of course, but in a lot of these films, it is always kind of like 40, 1942. Hey, that was pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good. Um, the male, um, the male storyline, it is always dictated by by them, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is rare, especially thinking of the movies kind of like from that time. But it's rare that you have like a powerful woman. Uh, especially in terms of like owning her sexuality it's always like the woman kind of adhering to like or like you know like falling like so hopelessly in love with with the men and you don't see a lot of that kind of like female sexual dominance 
Yeah, you do. And that's what my project basically kind of was. Right. And I was getting that from, you know, all the um, photographers like Charlotte Wells and, and, you know, Stephen Klein that I was working for because they were doing those things, but I wanted to do it in my way. Yeah. Um, so I created this, my thesis, I created this book and that, I, I left school. Sorry, let me go back. I, I created these, you know, these huge tableaus and these images looked like film sets. And mm. I remember people would always say to me, look, Talia, this is, these are, these are such, you know, extravagant sets. Mm. You should be a director. Like, right. this is what, this suits you more. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, no, like, you know, I don't really want to do that. I want to be a photographer. Even though my dad had said to me when I first moved to New York, if you're going to be going to New York and you're going to be doing photo, you've got to be doing video as well. Wow. My dad had always drawed that into me. Is he cre- a creative guy, your dad? Um, yeah, you could say that he, he yeah, he is a creative guy. Okay. Like he's, he's, he sings on the side. He has this, he has a project called um, um, Shabbat Morning Service Prayers. Yeah. I think I've told you about yeah, this. Yeah, where he's yeah. taken the whole um, Shabbat morning service and he's like, all the prayers and he's like, turn them into tunes so people can actually sing to them and enjoy them. Yeah. Which, you know, I'll send it over yes, to you. Yes, yes. I actually need to get involved with one of those. Yeah. Um, and so I remember he was saying to me, look, you've got to do video. And I always liked video. I always liked film. And yeah. I always liked this. It was so much easier, in my opinion, to tell a story through moving image than it was with a photo. And so, and that, and that kind of just happened really naturally with my own work, with the, with the photos that I, that I was taking. Everything was, was, there was so much production behind it. And obviously, where did I get that from? When I interned for Helena. Right. right? Had I not known how to produce something, I wouldn't have been able to make this, make this book. Yeah. Um, so I did all of that. And then um, I remember going to Vogue like for my, for my interview, my, my, my real interview uh-huh. with the, um, the supervising producer at the time. And I showed her my book and she was like, yeah, like you seem like you know what you're doing. Like, wow, at these shoots, yeah. come join. Awesome. And this job was offered to me the day I graduated. Oh yes, I think I read this yeah. somewhere on your Instagram or something. That is so amazing. What an incredible day for you. Yeah. and. Look, without sounding too, you know, overconfident. No, sound overconfident. I love it. It it was it was a really amazing feeling to be in that graduate hall, if that's what you call it. Yeah. Knowing that all the people that were kind of all over the years telling me, "Oh, you're not at school," and you know, you don't, you think you're a photographer, kind of like you know, always wondering why the fuck are you never here? Yeah. Sort of thing. Um, always making me feel like I was this sellout because I wanted to do, wanted to work commercially. Yeah. Um, I was the one that actually had a few, like not a future, but I had a plan. Yeah. I had, there was some, all that hard work yeah. got me somewhere yeah. and that was American Vogue. Yeah. And I remember walking into that room with my dad behind me and my mum as well thinking, you know, yeah. Was like, this into the graduate hall? Yeah. Okay. I remember thinking like, I've actually, I'm not worried. I'm not scared. And like as an yeah. artist, it's scary out there. Yeah. And I remember like looking at all my fellow peers thinking, why are you guys not interning? Yeah. There is more to life than just being at an art school and having critiques with your teachers. Yeah. You've got to be doing other things. You've got to be productive. Yeah. And nobody was doing that. And I was always the one that people took the piss out of. Yeah. I didn't care because I knew that I was doing the right thing. And that feeling was really like solidified when I walked into that hall knowing that everyone was freaking out and I wasn't. Yeah. And I remember starting with Vogue, like I think it was two weeks later. And um, and yeah, life, life really changed there as well. But that's the thing. I think, you know, those people who genuinely have a passion and a love for something, 
those are the people that stand out and like the ones that you know put in all the extra hours or like you interning as well as doing your degree like it separates the people who are just there because they say that they want to be there and do that and the people who are like I will put like blood sweat and tears on the line and I'll lose sleep and I won't eat for a few days or like whatever it is in order to do what I love doing and you will you will get ahead of the pack because of that regardless of whether you're like oh I need to get to x uh, or I need I want to become a director so I'm going to do this I think it's even less of a thought out thing it's just like an inherent thing within yourself where you're like I, I'm gonna do this because I want to spend more time learning and being dedicated on the job and being around those people who inspire you um, and so it's kind of like a natural thing that you need to be there and you want to do that mm. and I also think what an incredible thing like to have that vote of confidence by getting that job at Vogue when you're just kind of not starting out because obviously you've been doing it for a few years but when you're like real professional full-time career starting out what a vote of confidence to like just propel you from the get-go that must yeah. have really been so validating yeah and it and the, and what made it more special was that I got to share it with my pet my dad and my mum my at the time and I my friends as well being you know my my good friends um Nora and Courtney kind of like well done like, yeah she smashed it and yeah. I remember thinking amazing yeah like, all that hard work, all that, those blood, sweat and tears was worth, it was worth it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for yeah. sure, I, I agree. And how did, okay, Diary of a Model. Okay. Tell me, how did that, you're at Vogue, you've been there, X amount of time, how does that even come about? Okay, so, so Vogue obviously is owned by Condé Nast and Condé Nast obviously they are a media company and they would always there was always a conversation about you know making more making more content and creating more series mm. um, and I felt that as somebody who loved fashion who loved magazines who loved models especially the models because obviously I loved the the photo shoots that I saw the, these women in um, I felt that there was there was something missing. Like you have, you know, Vogue is known for the designers and the fashion, and you know, and it's also known for the models. And it's like, well, why don't why wasn't there a, a content that was dedicated specifically to um, the models that were actually in the magazine? Mm -hmm. um, and growing up, you know, when I would watch fashion shows on fashion TV, or I would look at you know behind the scenes at you know all these different. I don't even know, like Dior 1992 or something. I wasn't even born then, but like mm. looking at like all the behind the scenes back then. I remember, I remember just thinking to myself, it would be so interesting to see the perspective of a model mm. throughout the whole thing, mm. like from start to finish. Like, what does it take to actually walk the runway? Yeah. Um, and I remember at the time that there, there had been talk about, you know, some you know ideas of, of including more, you know, a model series, um, you know, sort of content. And um, we were we were presented with this opportunity with Alexander Wang to go to the show. And I remember um, my boss kind of turned around to me and said, OK, so you can like finally do this. Like, yeah. You can finally like, show us what you've got. Yeah. And I, I knew what I wanted to do. Like I had an idea in my head of, you know, how this should look. Yeah. And um, and he, here's where, you know, it goes a full, full circle. So, and this is a great lesson for everybody. Yeah. Diary of a Model would not exist today had I had not had the balls, okay, to email um, an agent at society, um, society management. Now, let me explain. I, during my thesis year, was shooting different models for my own personal projects for my um, 
you know, just for my tableaus that I was shooting. And I wanted, obviously, I was putting so much money into these sets, I wanted actual models that could actually do the job. Yeah. So I was reaching out to all these different agencies that I had, um, these modeling agencies that I'd worked, that I'd been in touch with through, you know, working for Natalie Hazoo as a casting director and working as a producer with Helena. I was using all that, all those connections. And um, I finally one day got in touch with the society and I managed to get a, a fantastic model called Laura to, you know, be the model for this beach shoot that I did. Um, and I had this connection with society management. And yeah. the, uh, society management are one of the top um, agencies in New York for okay. models. And I remember, um, you know, the call got in, yes, you can do Alexander Wang, but like the model wasn't confirmed yet. And... Um, As in, you, when you say you can do Alexander Wang, you can film it? We can we can film at, at the Alexander Wang okay. show. Okay. Um, and I and, and then I remember and then I remember my boss calling me and saying Talia, um, it's off. Odessa, where the model, she can't she can't do it. She's flying in from LA, and and her agent her agency is worried about her being too tired. Blah blah blah. And I remember sitting at my desk and thinking, no, this opportunity is not. I, the, I'm not letting this opportunity like leave leave my side right now. I've got I've got to change this. Yeah. Self fulfilling prophecy. It's going to happen. I've got to do this. So I just thought, fuck it. I send an email out to this agent. I know this is, word for word, yeah. I know this is really cheeky and I shouldn't be doing this, but I just want to let you know, I, I'll make sure that, you know, everything is set up for her, that she's got a car, that she's got everything. If she's too tired, we'll put the camera down. Yeah. Um, but I just really want to make this work. You know that we've worked together and that you love the images that I made with Laura. You know, please, can we try and make this work? Yeah. Okay, behind my boss's back. Yeah. And, I, and, and, she, and I get a message from her agent saying, yeah, sure. Amazing. And bear in mind, it was what, eight o'clock at night? Amazing. And the shoot was the next day. I remember looking at this email thinking, oh, oh my, my God. God, this is happening. I am finally directing a video for American Vogue. Yeah. This is happening. Life is real. You did it, Talia. <laughs> this is your moment, okay? And I, 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 and I walk into my, my boss's this room and I'm like oh oh so I managed to get a Tesla to do it um and she's like how did you manage to do that I was like oh well I emailed I emailed her, I emailed her agency um she was like oh okay like nice one I was like yeah yeah not a big deal but I was like I was so excited yeah. and then I and you know again if Odessa ever listens to this and I love Odessa she's this vibrant vivacious intelligent human being and I and I remember meeting and thinking wow there is so much that I can do with this because she was giving me so much and we yeah. were bouncing off each other and we respected each other and and you know she kind of I knew what I wanted to get out of Diver Model I knew what sort of content and insights I was looking for yeah. to make the series a success okay. but I needed to make sure that the talent that I was working with was able to give me that yeah and she was the perfect guinea pig right. she was the perfect person to go into this with and kind of just get as much as I possibly could and see if it worked and it did yeah and I remember I remember you know we were a small crew it was myself Rachel um Batashvili who is a very good friend of mine who's a, D, who's a DP who's based in New York um and um at the time it was with a sound engineer called Kathy and mm -hmm. it was just us mm -hmm. so um, three of you three of us and actually there was at the time there was um a run a Vogue runway editor called Emily Farah who was also there but she wasn't Emily wasn't really you know running around with yeah. us but she was kind of there just to you know be the runway person and kind of she had her questions for Alexander Wang in terms of the collection um and I remember I was carrying all the equipment and I was running around and I was I was just trying to you know I was just trying to make this this work yeah because yeah. Odessa was giving me so much energy that I knew okay I've got to take advantage of this. 
And I remember um, we we stopped. We were in the we were it was post production. I we were sitting with the editors, and it was really coming along beautifully. Now, before I even go on to that, I took all that footage back home, and I watched every single minute of it. And I wow. made a, I made a paper edit. I wanted to make sure, I wanted to get all those character moments that made Odessa who she was. Uh-huh. I wanted to make sure that it was authentic to her. Uh-huh. And, you know, to do that, you have to have time and you have to have patience because you're going yeah. through hours of footage. I was going through maybe, I would say, eight hours of footage. Right, okay? okay. And I was making notes and I was making it easy for the, for the editor to understand the sort of um, vision that I had for this video. Okay. And that's very important, I think, as a director because... You know, you may not be physically editing it, but as long as you're paper editing and you're actually going through the footage that you, you know, you filmed, you're still involved in that process because you're making sure that you're not losing anything that you believe is actually worthy of yeah. being in the in, in the cut. Yeah. So I remember going through that and, you know, making it really easy for the editor in terms of what I wanted. And it was really coming together. And, wow. I, and, and then I, I, I remember my boss at the time was like, okay, like, this is something. And then she brought in, at the time, the creative director of... Um, of American Vogue, her name is Sally Singer. Okay. Um, and I remember Sally Singer's a big deal, and it's just uh, Sally Singer's like right is underneath Anna Wintour, um, and it was always really difficult to impress Sally. Yeah. And I remember Sally sitting there, and she's kind of like she's with her hair, and she's watching it, and I was like, fuck, she doesn't like it, she doesn't like it, she doesn't like it, and she's looking and she's nodding, and she kind of turns around to me, and she goes, congratulations, and I. Honestly, it was that feeling of, oh my God, Sally Singer has just approved a video that I just did. Wow. And again, fangirling over creatives. Yeah. That was my thing. Like, I, I admired who, who she was yeah. and everything that she had done. And she, the fact that she liked, and she's very hard to impress, but the fact that she saw something in Diary of a Model, I, it was it was almost orgasmic. Also, okay? that is so powerful. Like, <laughs> not even... <laughs> it was! It, it was, was orgasmic. Though. No, I get it. Like, sometimes life can be so I mean that is just a thing I've never experienced but like the, <laughs> the fact that she not even just like wow this is good or whatever but just sitting there and like paying attention and like focusing her energy onto what you've created and then saying congratulations like wow what a penny drop like moment like you yeah. being like oh my god it fucking worked yeah it worked so like that hard work that you put in the thing that you created lugging around the cameras like and like so exciting because you've just opened up the world to this whole new thing yeah and and then I remember um, the um, the strategy director at Condé Nast kind of sent me a message being like, "This is really good. Wow. Um, you know, you've got something going here, and can't wait to see the next one." And he would always and he would. There were times where he'd email me from, from other episodes, being like, "I really specifically like this episode. I really like the clarity was good. The structure was good. You had elevations. You had insights." And that's another thing with YouTube. Like you've got to. You've got to know what works, and there are you know, there are four main principles: clarity. What I just said, you know, mm-hmm. what is the what is the agenda of the video, mm-hmm. right? What is the, what are you trying to tell? What is the story? Mm-hmm. Then you've got um, uh, sorry, there's clarity, there's structure, structure. So mm-hmm. the architecture of the video. What is the format? Okay, mm-hmm. what do you what chapters do you need that that so your viewer knows what they're tuning into? They mm-hmm. should always expect a certain they should expect certain chapters because so they know what they're coming back to each time. Mm-hmm. Right? That that that's what makes it a successful series. Then you've got elevations. Mm-hmm. Um, what is an elevation? It's you know caring about the content that you're making. So it could be camera tricks. It could be um, the score. Mm-hmm. It could be the way you create a montage. People on YouTube respond to content that is carefully 
uh, created and also carefully considered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the last one is insights. What about this episode is different to something else? Mm-hmm. You've got you've got a specific celebrity here. What are they doing for you that is an insight and that is different to every other video that lives of them lives of them on the internet? And all those four elements are what create a very successful YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And I remember, but obviously because I was a producer at Vogue. I was always told these things, mm-hmm. and um, I I knew that in order to make Diary of a Model successful, those four elements had to be very strong and very considered throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so Adesua, you know, thanks to her, with her energy, mm-hmm. she gave me something to work with, mm-hmm. and then, you know, from then on out, we... Um, we, we just kept doing more episodes, and I think now we're on our 18th episode. Wow. Um, I mean, there's so much I could say about Diver Model and like what it means to me as yeah. a, as a director. And I think, you know, if you don't mind, like th- I think the main thing with with Diver Model is that, and me as a director, it's not for me to dictate these these women's stories. They are human beings, and they have their own narrative and their own path and their own journey and. Where I come in is allowing them to tell their story in a way that fits their lens and also fits the Vogue lens. And it's that you, you have to find, I, I have to find that balance of, you know, what is okay and what isn't and what sits well with them. Yeah. With, of course, still pushing for insights. Yeah. And, you know, interesting stories and, you know, things that will actually captivate our audience but it's also respecting that this is a human being yeah and that i'm not there to exploit you yeah i'm your friend in this yeah i know that this is a big deal that you're on camera all day and people are getting to know you for you yeah. i'm not here to make you look like a dick sure i'm here to make you feel that you have shared your story with the, with the uh, these eight million subscribers that vogue have yeah um on youtube alone yeah not to mention the 25 million that they have on instagram right I'm here to make sure that you know you feel comfortable in sharing this amazing story that you have about your life and how you got to this position yeah. without making you feel shitty about yourself yeah. and creating something cool and fun and yeah. energetic. Which you do so well. Like I, I, I'm so happy that you made these videos because like you were saying before, before these videos, and they are a big deal. Like I, I think it is like a monumental thing that Vogue has done and that you've created in, in the sense that it gives us access to who these people are and like you said like they're human beings like when I see a model honestly before I so before I watched Diary of a Model I was kind of like yeah they're models but like whatever like it's just you know they're just people who wear these clothes and I don't know many models like personally so I don't have that kind of connection or insight into their world and watching these videos I was like dude these people are so fucking nice yeah and cool and down to earth and they have their own story and where they came from and their background and it just made me have so much more respect for these people. And what they do. And what they do. Yeah, massive respect. Um, I, it's, I, I really just have so much respect for you doing that and connecting people to understanding that world more. Um, one thing I was really interested in is the questions that you have for them. I, I mean, some of them I think are more like standard ones of them talking about how they got into it and stuff, but like ones, for example, about with Kendall Jenner and the Calvin Klein um, in bed with, how do you come up with those questions? Because some of the questions are like, and I wonder if it's related to you talking about that book, Her, and like that that sexual or like powerful uh, kind of portrayal of women, but some of them are like, what are your, what's your biggest turn on? What's your biggest turn off? How do you come up with those questions, and do you have to get them approved? Or? Okay, so with okay with Calvin Klein, it's it, it's 
kind of different because it's a commercial thing and like that comes with a totally different budget and you know different legal legal restrictions and and and, and so on so you know when you think of Calvin Klein you think of underwear yeah right so they obviously came to um you know to myself and the producer Dana Carney with you know an idea of you know we want to do something and it has to be Calvin Klein related so obviously in bed with you know talent a you know because obviously they had this huge roster in bed with Kendall Jenner mm-hmm. in her Calvin Klein underwears having an interview was something that fit their their aesthetic their look and in terms of the questions you know we would come up with them and myself and Dana the producer um obviously with a lot of it being you know heavily being the questions were, when they, when they were asked it required a lot of tact on my end to make sure that they were asked in a way that was respectful sure. and wasn't exploitative yeah sure and so and i and you know those questions of course have to get approved yeah and i actually remember with the kendall jenner um with the, with the kendall jenner episode i because with Diary Model, I'm used to just asking questions and like saying whatever I want. Yeah. I kind of went off script for a second, and I remember that uh, her um, her manager kind of like stepped forward, but she went with it. Okay. And she and she was cool because I think she realised that I wasn't there to yeah. catch her out. Yeah. It was just I wanted to just get a little bit more out of her for the video. Yeah. So yes, when it comes to big talent like, you know, a Kendall Jenner, yeah. you, you have to have your questions approved and, you know, when you re- when you, when you research about the talent, you have to you have I also find that you have to really think about who they are as people and what they would respect you asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, they are they 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 are being interviewed non-stop. You want to ask them questions that they're going to have fun with mm-hmm. too. So, and, you know, what turns you on, what, what, what makes you feel mo- most sexy? That's a very Calvin Klein-styled question. Yeah. So it worked for them, Okay. If that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. And, you know, I'm so actually happy to have the opportunity to ask you this because the one thing in all of those videos, like, I love those videos. I, I find them so interesting. I find it so interesting when they take you somewhere to go eat mm. because most of the time they take you to, like, a pizza joint, a, like, a burger place, or they always make a point of showing that they eat these foods. Mm-hmm. Is that, a th- is that something that they do because they want to show people, listen, I'm a model and I'm normal too? Or do you think these people are genuinely just taking people to places that they go and eat at all the time? Okay, so happy you ask. <laughs> right, models eat. Yes. I hate that, you know, stereotype that they don't. Yeah. They eat, yeah. okay? When you, go, when you go to a shoot, the catering is pretty large. Mm-hmm. It's pretty grand. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the Brandon Maxwell show, he has Shake Shack, and they all, they uh, eat yeah. it. That okay? looks so good, yeah. So, you know, they eat. Now, something that actually gets me into a lot of trouble with my with the producers at Vogue, now that I'm, I'm strictly just a director, um, is we we have to get location agreements yeah when when we're shooting and you know a location agreement also means a location agreement for where you're eating and where you're filming right and sometimes they're like well where well, where are you well, sometimes you know we 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 book the show so we know where we're filming at Anasui or um, or Prada yeah um we book the show we we've, we've got that access sorted but we don't have the model yet because casting hasn't been finalized on the designer's end uh-huh. which means that we don't have a restaurant booked yet. Right. Now, why don't we have a restaurant booked? I always get asked. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to dictate yeah. where this my talent is going to eat. Yeah. 
that's not respectful. Yeah. I'm telling her, okay, you're going to have this food before you yeah. know you walk the runway. No. So I always say to the agents, look, where does she or he want to eat? Mm-hmm. What is their favorite food? Where would they like to go? Mm-hmm. And that gets me into trouble. Really? And it also want to add makes my life a lot more difficult because it's last minute and then there I am in New York at seven o'clock calling absolutely everybody can we please come to your restaurant and can we film here it's with this model you're gonna get you know credit on Vogue 25 million followers blah blah blah. it's a lot and that's that's stress that I don't actually need I could be focusing on other things but it's it's that respect for that person that I want to make sure that you're you know when we're filming you for eight hours tomorrow I want to make sure that you're in a good place and that you feel that I have respected you and your wishes as to where you want to eat where you want to go and how you want to go about your day yeah and I think that's really important. And these girls, women, sorry, they respond to that. Yeah. Because they see that I'm not treating them like a baby. Yeah. I'm not treating them like how they, how probably most people do. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they do eat. Yeah. With Yasmin Wijnaldum, she did want to get a pizza. Yeah, okay? totally fair. Suki Waterhouse wanted that fucking milkshake. Yeah. Okay. And I remember thinking, also that she wanted that cheese toasty as well, that grilled cheese. Yeah. Do we call it grilled cheese or... Cheese toasty in English. Ah, uh, cheese toasty. Okay, in America I call it grilled cheese, but I said cheese toasty because she says cheese toasty. She's English, though, no? She's English, yeah. But, yeah, she's English, but because I've been living there for so long, I yeah. say grilled cheese. And grilled it's cheese. So bad. I mean, but, either of them you'll get away with. You're right. Yeah. So you know, she wanted to have the cheese toasty with the milkshake. Sure. Adesua wanted. Um, to, actually no Odessa was different because that was our first series and I was like where should we eat and we all just decided Shake Shack okay um, but you know always Grace Elizabeth in Milan she wanted to go to a vegan restaurant yeah, that's yeah. where we went yeah I always take into account what my talent wants yeah and I think that sets the tone for the day yeah and you can and you can also see that that respect is shown with how they respond in the video sure and Doing all of these videos, you know, I think you've definitely given these models an amazing platform where other people can understand them on a whole different level. What do you think you've learned since doing Diary of a Model? Like, in terms of, like, personal growth and and learning things about people and how that's potentially made you grow, whether that's as a director or as a human being, can you think of anything in particular that's, that you think has made you become like a better person from from doing these videos? For sure, um, everybody's different, mm-hmm. and you know, with with something like YouTube, where you know you need structure, you need clarity, you need elevation, you need insight. Sometimes, it, you know, that gets stressful as a director, and it's very it can be very easy to kind of expect every talent that you work with to just know to turn it on for the camera, right? And sometimes that's not who they are. Yeah. Sometimes they're more timid. Yeah. And they are more, you know, introverted and they they can't give you that. Yeah. And as a director, I have to adapt to what suits them. Yeah. And I have to still create the same quality of content at the same, you know, high level with a person that may not be able to give me as much as the last person did. Mm-hmm. And being able to do that and being able to kind of adapt to those different personalities is a skill yeah and it's and it's allowed me to also do that in my personal life because you know people have their limitations and everybody's different and yes of course models do a very similar job to each other and you know they go through similar they go through similar hardships but they're different people yeah. you and I were different we're yeah. similar yeah. but we're different you would respond to something in you know your way and I'd respond to it in mine yeah and it goes the same for your talent 
So what I've learned is just to kind of always go with the flow mm -hmm. and always respect where somebody is willing to go with you and you know where they're willing to take things. And I always say to the, to the models that I work with, if you do not want to answer this question, so actually before we start the shoot, I say, look, yeah. I'm your friend in this. Yeah. Um, I'm not here to make. I'm not here to exploit you. If there is something that you do not want to answer, mm -hmm. just say my name, and I we put the camera down and we and we, we change and we you yeah. know we change the question or. If you don't like how you've answered a specific question, tell me, yeah. we'll put the camera down and we'll work on how to word it together. Amazing. Because what is the point in them going home and having a you know a bad taste in their mouth, feeling like, well, did I just say something that might affect my career now? Yeah. So it, it, it's a collaboration mm -hmm. and it's very, and you know, as a director, I think it's very important. Yes, you have your vision and you have, you know, you've got an idea of what you what this should look like and what works on the internet and what's going to make Vogue happy and what's mm -hmm. going to make the viewers happy and what's going you know what's going to make yourself happy as well but you know it's also respect for the human race like mm -hmm. respect for who you're actually working with mm -hmm. what are they willing to give you and yeah. let's create something that we're both happy with yeah. so that's how i go about it i think that's an amazing way to look at that because what you just said of this is a collaboration like i'm here to help like i'm here to work with you just as much as you're here to work with me on the level of we are just the human race like and without sounding too deep like that is all we are at the end of the day and i think in, as individual people if we're not here to help each other out whether that be in life in business and in work then what are you doing like mm. it's just going to be putting negative energy out there whereas like if you can do something in harmony with someone create something that you both love and appreciate and then also have that bond and respect for each other then only good can come of that 100 percent. yeah and when and also when when you respect somebody and they respect you you get a lot more out of it yeah and you know I, I'm somebody that, you know, really feeds off uh, the energies of people and, like, a smile to me goes a long way. And yeah. I think that when I walk in, that's the other thing that I always say to people, when you walk in, walk into the room with a smile, yeah. it changes everything. Yeah. It changes the whole dynamic and the whole tone and atmosphere of the room and people want to be around that. Yeah. And it's already stressful as it is. You don't need to make it more stressful. Yeah. You know, be fun, be light and just kind of, you know, go with it. And yeah. A hundred percent. I think people, like, regardless of whatever industry that you're in, like, I remember my brother when, uh, before I went to university, he said, the biggest tip I can give you is say hi to everyone in that first two weeks. Because after that, it gets weird. Like, so you have to say hi to everyone because no one knows each other. And so I remember the first two weeks of uni, anyone who I met and like people who weren't smiling, who just like kind of looking a bit serious, I was like, okay, no, no, go, like say hi, like come on, even if it's weird, like be, go and be nice. So I'll be like smiling, people be like, hey. And then as soon as you do that, 99% of the time people respond, hey, hey, what's up? And those people are like searching for that positive connection as mm -hmm. well, which we so often forget. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because then when I speak to my friends about it, people be, people say like, oh, it's intimidating. Like people don't really want to talk to you. I hate that. But people, people do. Like, I hate, I hate that word intimidating. Oh, really? Yeah, when someone says I'm intimidating, I'm like, why? Wait, someone, if someone describes themselves as intimidating? Or like if they about say like, you. or if they're like, that, like it's so intimidating. It's like, I, I, I hate, hate that. that. Yeah. I've had guys before oh don't get me <laughs> yeah, i've had guys before where i go out and they go oh god you're quite intimidating oh and i'm just like what's me. the fuck yeah you know yeah someone said that to me the other night <laughs> i'm like what do you say to that um because i honestly great. think i think those people are afraid that you know who you are so much to a certain level that they don't know how to deal with it mm. especially as a woman 
It sucks. Yeah. It's, I, I really don't like it. And all my friends are like, you should be flattered. No, I'm not flattered that a guy I fancy yeah. finds me intimidating. Yeah. No. Like, but I think it's a sign that they are not right. No, I mean, it depends how they, depends how they say it. True. Very true. <laughs> very true. Um, okay, and another, i also very interested in this. If there's, by the way, I love your shoes. Thank you. Um, <laughs> if you've ever worked have have you ever been in a situation where you've worked with someone and for some reason at the end of the day you just weren't happy with what you captured or the content and you know as a creative person that must be really difficult because you're like well I have a job to do but also if this work doesn't reflect that model well or you well how do you deal with that if you've ever been in that situation definitely been in that position I think every director probably has been um and that's where you know my control freak comes to play. Um, I, if I feel like a shoot didn't go well, I'm extra careful in the paper edit. And when I go through, um, when I go through like you know the hours of footage that we shoot, and I'm very specific with the editor as to how we should shape this, and you know what sort of music we should put, we should put in to kind of perfectly depict the vibe. And you know I'm very involved with curating the whole thing and putting it together to to kind of at least get it to a place where I think is right. And what's funny mm. is that I've never I don't want to jinx. I've never had any episode have a bad. Um, review in mm-hmm. terms of well she was really boring or like that didn't really work but because I obviously know this is, this goes back to how everybody's different you know you may have somebody like actually I'm not going to use na- names but you, you, you could have you could have a model who's really energetic and really really fun and I'm like wow this episode was amazing there was so much energy behind mm-hmm. it and then we shoot an- another go- another model who's a li- little bit more low key and I'm thinking is this going to be boring are people going to respond to this oh no there aren't as many insights There's, there aren't as many elevations ah like I know and I, and I freak out a bit yeah. but then that's human beings yeah. people are different yeah. and you know, you ca- I can't expect each talent to have the same sort of um, you know way of thinking and way of being mm-hmm. so Yes, there are times where I'm thinking, did I do a good job here? But when I feel like I'm not doing a good job, I, I try to read the room and I see, well, what would they respond to in terms of what sort of questions can I ask them that will, you know, make them shine? Mm-hmm. So, it, and also that comes with, you know, doing research before, yeah. um, you know, I work very closely with um, Elise Browchuk, who is um, who's actually a very good friend of mine who's on the runway team. And she is very involved in Diary of a Model and she kind of does a lot of research as well. And we kind of really think about these questions as to, you know, who are these women? And, you know, how can we, as I said before, how can we get them to really be, you know, the spotlight of this video? And, and you know, how can we get the most out of them in the most productive way? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, but of course, you know, no, nothing in life is is easy and and I you can't always be happy with your work. But I will say this, and that's this is something that, um, I really believe if you don't feel physically sick before yeah. a shoot yeah. or like nervous, there is something wrong. Wow. I don't care how confident you are. If you don't feel like you've got something to lose, there's something wrong. There's You've always got to feel like you're trying to get more out of yourself and you're trying to push yourself further. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just, if I'm not nervous mm-hmm. before I'm shooting something... 
It's weird. And so that happened to me. Is that because like the stakes are so high and you care so much about what you're doing that you know you've got you're about to perform in a way? Yeah. Like you've got to try and achieve that. One hundred percent. I care about what I'm doing. I care about the viewers of Diary of a Model. If we're talking about Diary of a Model. Yeah. I care about my client. I care about my re my reputation as a as a you know director. Yeah. Um. I care. I care where I ca I care way too much and. Sometimes that's not good. Sometimes I just need to like you know let it go. But, um, <laughs> let it be. Let it be. Let it be. <laughs> just side note, I've I've had like a you know an epiphany with that song. Let it be. Like I now understand what the Beatles were saying. Okay. Yeah. Let it be. Let it love be. Love will be the answer. Let it be. Yes. I love that you just said that. But yeah, for real. Just let it be. Yeah. So and I I, I could I could be a bit better with that. But um and I and I you know I'm, I'm a human. I'm growing. Hundred percent. But yeah, I mean, there yeah, there have definitely been times where I've just thought I could have done a better job. But yeah. you know, we live and we learn. Yeah. And so, anybody listening, have you got any advice? I mean, you've given out so much amazing, inspirational advice. But like, do you have any any one thing to leave somebody with who wants to do what you do or get into what you're doing in that industry, or for people who don't necessarily want to get into it? But like, one thing you could say to to yeah, to people to give them like uh, any kind of advice. I probably have more than one. Okay. Um, the first thing is this: always walk into a room with a smile on your face, no matter what the situation is. Most people don't want to be there. They're nervous. They're not ready. And if you walk in with good energy, people respond to that, and they want to be around you and you're a good force of nature and good things happen. That'd be my first thing. Yeah. My second thing is when you intern and you're, don't think that you are, you're, you're getting something from your employer, okay? You've got to go in thinking, how can I make a meaningful contribution to this company? What can I do to benefit and kind of adapt and help create and innovate within this new environment that I'm in. Don't think about what you can take, think about what you can bring. Because again, people respond to that. People respond to good energy and people respond to people that wanna make a difference. Um, and also, don't think that people owe you anything. Don't think that you have to, you know, when you when you go intern for somebody, they, they owe you an education. No, what you, what you owe yourself is um, to learn and to kind of advocate for yourself and to do things your way and to benefit from this incredible opportunity that is that is being presented to you um, and that would be my main thing and you know always go for it because you never know what's you never know what's around the corner and never another thing is always you know don't turn up your nose at opportunities that come your way because you never know where it could lead you mm. um, and, and yeah, and always be positive about things and, you know, hopefully things will, well, you know. Come into fruition. Yeah. And I think that's amazing advice, especially what you just said, you owe it to yourself to learn. Not a lot of people say that or realize that. And it's so true. Like we're on this planet to, I mean, we're on this planet, we have a life and we're here to basically survive. But if you can realize that you don't know everything and there are other people here with their own personal stories and their own lives and if you can try and, whether that's not even educational learning but just learning about somebody else's situation and their life and their perspective, like that's how you grow. Um, and so I think that's really amazing advice.
Thanks. You're welcome. I tried. <laughs> cool. Well, I think I'll wrap this up there. Uh, Hope you all enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just. I mean, what a gal. I know that's what you're thinking. What a gal. If you want to follow Tal or check out some of her stuff, her website is taliacollis.com. Her Instagram is at taliacollis. Uh, you can also check out in the description how to spell any of those things. And if you want the video version, head to YouTube. If you guys enjoyed that, I'd really appreciate it if you share with your mates. Leave me five stars on the app store. Not on the app store. On Apple Podcasts. Yada, yada, yada. You know what to do. And I will see you guys next Tuesday, 5 p.m.